This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. CNN hosted back-to-back town halls on the topic of climate change with 10 of the Democratic presidential candidates. Following several dire reports by the United Nations and others, as well as the frequency of severe weather events like Category 5 hurricanes, heat waves, and wildfires, climate change has become an important issue for the 2020 election. The candidates discuss what government needs to do to address the problem, as well as what citizens can do to help. They also discussed how big business needs to be held more accountable. This seven-hour event took place, ironically, as Hurricane Dorian is churning um, in the Atlantic Ocean after having destroyed much of the Bahamas with 180-mile-an-hour winds. Scientists feel that the intensity of hurricanes has increased in recent years due to the impact of climate change. Joining us to discuss CNN's climate crisis town hall and the proposals offered are Eric Ortz, director of the Initiative for Global Environmental Leadership here at the Wharton School. He's also a professor of legal studies and business ethics, as well as author of the books, The Moral Responsibility of Firms and Business Persons. And also joining us, Brian Berkey, Assistant Professor in Wharton's Department of Legal Studies and Business Ethics, as well as Department of Philosophy here at the University of Pennsylvania. Gentlemen, great to see you. Thanks very much for coming in. Good to be here. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks for having me. It, it, we heard a lot, Eric. Seven hours, obviously. It's a long period of time to to discuss this this one topic. But what did you take away from, from some of the discussion points that, that all of these candidates had? Well, first of all, I think uh, Cory Booker ended with the thanking of CNN. And, uh, and even though CNN was promoting it and hyping it a bit for themselves and their own promotion as that this was unprecedented, I think that objectively it really was unprecedented. So as you mentioned, it's a huge chunk of time. Uh, probably not everyone had, a t- had w- I, I wasn't able to watch it even on video delay all in one night. I had to finish it this morning. And so I'm happy to be in here to provide some highlights. And I'm sure most people were not able to see it. But I think it really was an unprecedented uh, opportunity. And it's also followed calls by me and others to get away from the what Kamala Harris called the food fight style of debates where you're trying to score points in a very right. limited time period. It's now reduced to 10 candidates in the town hall. What what uh, citizens and listeners can do now is if you happen to be a Democrat and you happen to be still up in the air as to who you're supporting, it will be available to look at, you know, you can compare and contrast maybe your top two or three candidates and see if climate change is important to you, then who really came out the best, et cetera. So I think that's the biggest takeaway. And the the second biggest takeaway is that CNN has uh, enabled this issue to really become very high on the agenda for this election season. And that has not that has not previously been the case. The Democratic Party, as well as uh, the Republican Party, have been running away for this, from this issue for decades now. And that was a sub-theme, too. It's like, okay, it's finally here. Right. There are a lot of uh, younger people in the audience, including from the Sunrise Movement, um, uh, uh, Bill McKibben's organization, uh, et, and et cetera, and, and others. Uh, his, 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 his organization is not the Sunrise Movement. It's the 360 Movement about where you need to hit the target. But... I think that that's driving a clear issue. So it's going to be there for this election. However, whoever the Democratic candidate is going to be, it's clear that they're not running away from the climate issue this time around. Brian, what were your takeaways? 
Yeah, so I think Eric's right. Um, it really was an unprecedented event. Uh, it's important that uh, CNN kind of gave the candidates this opportunity and spent seven hours uh, of its coverage uh, on this issue. Uh, but I think, you know, one thing to note is that they're clearly responding to demand from their audience, right? Um, they did this because they expected that people would watch it. Right. Right? Uh, people are concerned about this issue. So um, a lot of Democratic primary voters kind of list climate change now as the number one issue that they're concerned about. That's never happened before. I mean, even among people who have been concerned about climate change for a long time, I mean, it used to be kind of well down the list of their priorities mm -hmm. when they're kind of uh, ranking things that they're concerned about in in an upcoming election. Uh, so you are seeing more and more uh, young people really focused on this issue in a way that um, I think hasn't been the case before. And this is driving you know, networks like CNN to want to do this. It's driving kind of calls within the Democratic Party for more attention to be paid on the issue. And that uh, seems like a, a really good thing. It's very important. Before we get into some of the things said, it, it almost makes me wonder whether or not, on the political side for a second, makes you wonder if this is going to be kind of a new approach to having these types of discussions more so on an issue with all the candidates than having all issues with all candidates, which, uh, as you mentioned before, Eric, can tend to be a free-for-all at times. Yeah, I think I think actually CNN did a pretty good job, too, of having similar questions that were asked of the candidates without being without it being boring because you had new uh, new citizens who were asking questions. So there were some specific questions for specific uh, candidates and there was even maybe one gotcha question uh, for Joe Biden who was holding a fundraiser and the question came up isn't that fundraiser someone who is involved in uh, natural gas business, et cetera. But you didn't have a lot of that. You really had uh, – I was impressed with the selection of, the very, of, of citizens in the real world who were asking questions like, okay, I live in a place where uh, we work for uh, fossil fuel companies. What's going to happen to us yeah. with this big plan? Uh, how are we going to – how is this going to affect us? A lot of people who are on the front lines of the consequences are, who are people of color or poor, poor uh, communities saying, what about us? How yeah. is this going to – okay, carbon tax sounds really great, but that sounds to us like the prices are just going to go up on us. And we've seen in uh, events such as the Yellow Vest Movement in France that you just can't do an abstract uh, fix on – on setting the price of carbon, for example, with, without thinking about what these consequences are going to be on right. real people. And I thought that that was, uh, I think this. I think they've already announced at the end that they're going to do another one of these on human rights related issues. So um, I'm encouraged that this might be, uh, that this might uh, take, take some hold and we'll have other similar kinds of uh, town halls on substantive issues, rather than, as I said, the kind of stylistic yeah. who, who, who gave the best punch and that kind of analysis, like it's a you know, horse race kind of thing, really yeah. get to the substance of differences. And this, and this really did get to substantive differences. So, different candidates have different views on, this, on the question. So when you get into some of these issues, and, and let's start with carbon tax, uh, Beto O'Rourke mentioned that he was not in favor of a carbon tax. He actually is more in favor of cap and trade. So let's start with that right there. And, and I think a lot of people who maybe don't follow it close enough probably need to, to delve into what those two ideas really are and whether there is a benefit one way or the other, Brian. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the aim of each of the policies is roughly the same to kind of limit emissions uh, to an extent that will keep warming, uh, you know, to some level that is determined to be the safe level, whether it's 1.5 degrees or 2 degrees. Um, so the mechanisms are different, right? So with a carbon tax, uh, the idea is generally to kind of set the a tax per ton of CO2 equivalent yeah. um, in a way that reflects something like the social cost of carbon, right? Uh, so that uh, companies that are... Um, producing emissions uh, in their operations are not able to kind of externalize the costs uh, onto society right. at large, right? They're paying for the cost of the uh, the sort of harm that is being caused by the emissions. Um, and the difficulty there is kind of setting the price right. at the right level so that uh, on the one hand, you're limiting emissions. You're creating enough of an incentive to limit emissions so that, you know, companies aren't just kind of, you know, treating it as, uh, well, you know, if it's too low, it's just a kind of cost of doing business and, you know, maybe emissions don't uh, get reduced enough. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, if you kind of set the price too high, uh, there are a set of other problems. So that is the, that. It, it, when you look at the two, it, it, outside of the fact that, as Eric kind of mentioned, when you throw the word tax around these days, obviously there's a lot of there's a lot of negative connotation to it. Is there, do you see a benefit to cap and trade over a, a carbon tax, or or is carbon tax maybe the way that, that needs to be considered? Well, so a carbon tax is a simpler policy in a way, right? Yeah. Um, it requires kind of less uh, kind of administration and and so on. So with cap and trade, you know what what you do is you sort of cap emissions, and then you have this sort of marketplace where. Uh, emitters can kind of buy and sell permits. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are different ways to kind of set this up, but that's the basic idea. Um, most economists favor some version of a carbon tax um, uh, for, I think, mostly kind of efficiency-based reasons. Right. Um, but again, you know, both policies are kind of aimed at doing the same thing, and that's the most important thing is you right. know, getting something in place that's going to be effective at kind of limiting emissions. Eric? Yeah, well, I think that's a good explanation. So uh, there's also differences within the plan. So uh, on the carbon tax plan, uh, Mayor Buttigieg uh, adopted something. We had uh, Senator Coons from Delaware come on. Yep. I don't think his, I'm not sure his name came up in the debates, but his uh, that's the the basic idea comes from his proposal, which is that we have a tax. Uh, and Mayor Buttigieg, I think, was uh, kind of good about just saying, let's be honest and call it a tax, because that's what it is. Sure. Let's not just fool around. And, and, and of course, that's one of the reasons why it's so uh, politically dangerous is that people don't like taxes. So what he is, uh, he is advocating is what uh, uh, Senator Coons calls a carbon dividend, where you're putting this charge on, but then the money goes back to the people directly. So you're putting a charge on it, but then it comes into the government and then is distributed down to the people who are actually getting, uh, having to pay uh, higher gasoline costs, et cetera, so that you have some kind of a circularity there. Now, there's a, there's a question about how well that works, and I think in general also there's a question about the carbon tax, because the carbon tax doesn't actually put a hard cap on what the ultimate outcome will be. And so that's a question mark out there about what what policy, first of all, will be politically feasible for people to support? And second of all, will it be actually effective 
and getting the job done. In other words, measurably bringing down uh, the greenhouse gas emissions, not only in the United States, right. uh, but elsewhere. And then that's the last piece of this problem is that I'll, all the candidates recognize, too, the reality that it's not just the U.S. issue. It's like, you know, U.S. is maybe eight, uh, 15 to 20 percent of the general problem. The rest of the world, at least 80 percent of the problem is other parts of the world. And so you need to clearly have a return not only to Paris, but then some kind of a plan and a choice among these candidates. Who's going to be the best person to come back into the leadership position? Mm -hmm. A number of them mentioned the fact that at the G7 recently, the president didn't even show up. It was like it was an empty chair at the G7 meeting about climate change. So you have to reverse that. And then then the question is, how do you uh, convince other parts of the world to join in on this, on whatever program you're going to adopt so that you actually can solve the problem long in, in the next 10 years? One of the things that, that was seemingly common across all of the candidates uh, was the the notification that uh, that business has to play a role in 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 being responsible for it, but also in in, in trying to correct the problem. And, and obviously, Elizabeth Warren has been one of the most vocal candidates on this topic in terms of what she would like to do in Congress to be able to bring forth, you know, bring forth some of these businesses to really bring them to task on this. So I guess that's going to be one of the points, whoever ends up being the Democratic nominee is is bringing forth some sort of plan to make business more accountable. Yeah, and I think there's a difference. I mean, all the candidates obviously have, have a view that business should be involved in some way. I think there was a stylistic difference that I at least uh, at least seemed to me where you had a few of the candidates, uh, a few of the leading candidates, uh, Kamala Harris, uh, really put on her prosecutor hat and said, look, I'm a prosecutor. <laughs> I, these guys are doing bad behaviors. Leaders have to lead. I think she repeated that about six or seven times. And uh, her idea of leadership sounded like she would adopt a punitive approach. In other words, uh, if you're an emitter, you're not uh, – part of the program, you're violating the law, then I'm going to prosecute you. That's the way we're going to come forward. I think somewhat similarly in style, though maybe a little bit of a different emphasis, was uh, Elizabeth Warren, who, by the way, made news by adopting, uh, and, we, and we really should give credit uh, uh, to Governor Inslee, and a number of people did give credit to Inslee, who had dropped out uh, a couple of weeks ago, but he had proposed, he had, he had demanded that there be a climate debate and the Democratic Party, they didn't really listen to him, but he's now been successful. So just before the debate, though, uh, Elizabeth Warren said, I'm basically adopting Jay Inslee's plan. So you uh, you have that. But part of her style, the style seemed to be the government's corrupt. It's captured by the fossil fuel companies. You have to, again, uh, fight kind of an attack mode, uh, us versus them style. And then on the other side, I think you saw some other candidates, and I would put uh, uh, Mayor Pete on the top of the list, who was saying, well, we really have to all work together in some way and right. come to uh, come to terms with this. So he was, uh, a couple of the candidates were mentioning, the military is really a leader in this. So how can they kind of, uh, how can we galvanize support? Uh, we know that the, mil I think uh, uh, Vice President Biden said, uh, the military and briefings to him as vice president was indicating that climate change was the number one uh, existential risk to, uh, or threat multiplier that we were facing. Right. Uh, 
Buttigieg had been as a veteran and was also uh, kind of playing that point up. But then he was kind of arguing, look, we have to you have to be across the aisle. We sort of have we're divided at the moment. He didn't use these terms, but I think of it in terms of Fox Nation on one side and then yeah. MSNBC Nation on the other side. Yeah. And so one model is, OK, one of those has to win and we have to have a big fight. Yeah. And I think that um, Mayor Buttigieg and, and a few others uh Beto O'Rourke might be in this candidate in this camp too. We're saying, well, we really have to be able to reach those people, right? So you have you have to have, we have to really unify the country if we're going to if we're going to be able to solve this problem that's at least on the order of World War II in terms of the mobilization required, the agreement to make a huge transition in terms of energy, sure. uh, building efficiency. Uh, and uh, transportation. If we're really going to do that, you have to kind of, you have to have find unity. And so that was another th- sub theme that I think you saw. And and Senator Klobuchar was probably in this camp too, where there's a lot of opportunity if you look at the transitions in rural communities and places that are generally colored red on the map right, right now. Right. And so I think that's another question: is how well are the, are each of these candidates going to be a, able to appeal to a lot of those people who are maybe not the ordinary, you know, I mean, Brian and I both study and, and teach in climate change areas, so we're kind of looking at this from one perspective, but that another really, uh, an even more important perspective politically is how are you going to reach a number of those people who are fearful of the change mm-hmm. and and who are um, and who are not really quite bought in on the whole idea, is that is that something that's possible? And that's, I think that's really to be seen yet, which of those styles is going to win out in the uh, primary. Brian? Well, so one thing to note is that um, I think you've got some candidates who are really trying to do some combination of the things that you were describing, Eric. Uh, So Senator Sanders, for example, is not shy about saying we need to take on the fossil fuel companies, uh, agreeing with Senator Warren that, you know, the government has basically been captured by these large corporate interests, but at the same time really kind of emphasizes the need to include in any plan uh, a significant effort to uh, transition workers in the fossil fuel industry and presumably in, in related industries as well into new jobs in the green economy. So his plan includes $1.3 trillion in spending for uh, transition for fossil fuel workers and so on. Uh, and so I think we need to avoid suggesting that you know either we kind of emphasize taking on the fossil fuel industry or we kind of emphasize bringing people together. Um, I think one of the things that um, we might need to do um, in order to really address the problem is some combination of these things, right? Get people who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, have a lot at stake in the transition, like people who've been working in the fossil fuel industry, to see that um, there is a place for them in a new green economy, um, but still not shy away from doing some of the things that, for example, Senator Harris emphasized, you know, look, we really need to kind of go after companies that aren't doing what needs to be done to but, address the problem. Uh, I, again, I think that one of the other areas that, that that some of the candidates touched on, and I think it's an important area, it, it, it kind of goes back to the issue of the economic divide in, in the country, is also the economic divide in terms of a lot of these issues and the impact that people in lower incomes may be feeling more so than people in higher income. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, I mean, this goes to um, what Eric mentioned a minute ago uh, with um, Mayor Buttigieg's proposal to kind of direct the 
uh, revenue that comes in via a carbon tax to, uh, I think he put it in terms of primarily low and middle income citizens uh, in order to kind of offset the um, effects of perhaps increased prices for energy, at least in the short term. Uh, I mean, there are questions about um, you know when exactly renewables will kind of um, uh, you know be available enough and cheap enough to kind of avoid that right. uh, that concern. But I think it's important to kind of uh, um, deal with these kinds of uh, economic implications, especially for um, you know people who are not uh, especially wealthy. Eric? Yeah, and with respect to business, we should mention the one business person who's on the stage, Andrew Yang, who's kind of a surprise, uh, a surprise contender who to make it this far. But he he highlighted with respect to the business issue the recent report by the um, by the uh, CEO organization, the Business Roundtable, and Jamie, led by Jamie Dimon, that an emphasis that we need need to move away from a shareholder value maximization mode of uh, corporate organization to one that is more what those of us in the business ethics community have long called this kind of more of a stakeholder value approach. Right. And then Yang also has this idea of a, of a $1,000 to every citizen for yeah. Yeah. Uh, for every month. And so again, that he's using that. All of the candidates are having different ideas about how do you make this transition. All of them are agreeing, we gotta make the change and then you look, you know, you start to look at okay, what are the differences among the candidates, and how you're gonna make make people feel secure that the change is not going to drive them into personal catastrophe well, or, or or terrible tor- terrible straits. I think the fact that Andrew Yang came out and and I think this is playing off of what you said. It came out and basically said, you know, maybe we need to move away from the idea of GDP right now. Yeah, that was another and, big and, moment. And yeah. and incorporate a new kind of gauge. Factoring in what GDP is, but also factoring the environmental side of this as well. Yeah, I thought that was surprising, but also, you know, in retrospect, not. That's the way business people think about these kinds of problems, right? So you have to you have a problem, and what you have to do is set up what kind of measurements are we going to use right. to try to measure progress. So we know scientifically the targets that we need to get to pr- bring down the uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And I think uh, he's also raising a question in general, and this has been an area of uh, intensive research about how do you actually account for the ecosystem services that we have, et cetera. So it's well known that we have these external costs that go out there, but then question of how do we actually think about well-being and how well we're doing as a country, how 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 well people, how, how happy people are, as well as how much money you're making, right. is uh, is uh, I think a really important issue to put put onto the table. A couple of other things I wanted to get to before uh, before we wrap up. Uh, methane emissions was brought up, uh, and obviously it, it was brought up in, in a fun way. And the uh, Mayor Buttigieg said, "Hey, I love cheeseburgers as much as anybody." And Cory Booker said, "Hey, I'm a vegan, but I'm not going to stop anybody from eating mm. eating a hamburger." Uh, but it is a talking point that that needs to be discussed as part of this conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, there's an extent to which, uh, you know, I think Eric mentioned earlier that, you know, Biden got this kind of gotcha question. That's another one that I think probably was intended that way because, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of people are not going to be happy with a candidate who says, you know, actually, maybe we need to eat less beef and, right, uh, right. you know, produce less dairy products. Especially through like the Midwest, this. probably. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, but. You know, methane emissions are a real problem. Um, I mean, we're seeing in the market the kind of massive growth of uh, these sort of meat substitutes. Uh, you know, Beyond Meat has done extremely well since yeah. its IPO. Um, 
So, I mean, I think there's an extent to which we do need to kind of acknowledge that, you know, this is uh, this is a concern. And, you know, you can see the candidates when they get this question kind of yeah. wanting to run away from it as quickly as possible. But in the long run, uh, this is something that uh, I think is going to get more attention and, and ought to. One of the other things uh, that was mentioned, Beto O'Rourke talking about flood plane, uh, prone areas yeah. mm-hmm. and talking about spending federal dollars to help move people out of some of these areas. Yeah, that's another controversial uh, issue. So a lot of these questions involve change, and people don't always like to change their behavior or their or like to think, hey, a, a flood destroyed my house. Why can't I just rebuild it right, right here? Right. I think the answer has to be in some of these cases that we're happy to provide insurance in these cases, but if you're in a floodplain and there's a high probability that rebuilding your house right where the last hurricane hit, right where Harvey uh, wiped out a lot of, of housing doesn't make sense, but you have to have alternatives, but you can be over over here. And so I think that's one uh, answer to the question. And and the other, the other point, just kind of going back on the uh, question about you're taking away our hamburgers and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, there was an enormous uh, number of uh, amount of advertising for cheeseburgers during the <laughs> yeah, <laughs> during yeah. the debate. But the I think the point there is also that sometimes these issues can be put into health terms as well as environmental terms. So, and there were a few answers to the question I thought were were uh, were wise answers where you're saying, look, it's not about taking away your cheeseburgers, but maybe you don't need a cheeseburger every day. And not only is it bad for the planet in general, we need to kind of move away from that lifestyle, right. but it's also not really good for you. You're going to die, you know, you die of heart. You know, there are health consequences for uh, having too much meat in your diet. There are consequences for obesity, diabetes, et cetera, for overeating. So I think that that way of uh, addressing these issues where you have win-win uh, answers for health yeah. And for the climate problem, are the are, are the are the best way to go. But in some of these instances, in these areas, and what you're basically talking about, I think to a degree, is being able to have the option. Mm-hmm. Being able to have the option. If you're somebody that wants to have a burger, okay, fine, have a burger. If you want somebody that wants to have a plant based burger or plant based product, whatever it is, you have that option. In some of these topics, there really can't be options because of the negative impact. That, that, that is going to occur. Yeah, and what, the one example is like the coal industry. I mean, it's already disappearing, but there really isn't a good answer to say it's okay for the Chinese to be continuing to export coal for them to be adding the number of coal plants they're adding or for the U.S. to go in that direction. Right. Because uh, now I think there was one candidate that maybe pushed back and said, well, I still think there might be clean coal. But really there's been a lot of evidence. Uh, there's been a lot of research into how can you – make that process cleaner. It might make sense in the short term to look at those kinds of programs. But it's at the end of the day, there are certain certain basic use of fossil fuels just does not work. They There's no way to control the greenhouse gas emissions to the extent that you need to do it, which means that you move to what is also, this is another win-win that came out in a lot of the discussions, moving to solar and to wind is actually cheaper. And so I think yeah. Better Work, for example, pointed out that uh, wind is cheaper than uh, almost any other uh, energy uh, source in Texas now. 
Uh, solar is also be. I think solar, Texas is number one in wind as well as a, a as a big oil producer. So once that's the other uh, key here is if you take away the subsidies, which most of the candidates were in favor of, and which which amount to uh, uh, a huge amount of uh, of money, and you take away the subsidies to the fossil fuel companies, you also are going to equalize the playing field with sure. respect to what's cheapest as well as what is best for the uh, climate. And so I think those. Finding those kinds of win-win solutions is what's uh, ultimately going to drive the issue. Brian? Yeah, so I think that's I, – I think all of that's right. Um, I mean, I think, uh, you know, coal is on the way out. And, I mean, it's, it's kind of uh, unlikely that it would be you know, worth it to invest resources into, uh, you know, trying to do something about, you know, cleaning up coal as opposed to putting money into solar. There are always opportunity costs uh, to this sort of investment. So – um, you know, I think it's always a good thing if we can find these sort of win-wins where, um, you know, there are kind of overlapping reasons to do things like, uh, you know, I think Kamala Harris, uh, you know, said she'd be in favor of um, increased kind of labeling requirements of products like beef, you know, yeah. to kind of note the environmental impacts and so on. And, you know, maybe uh, something like, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Producing a, a beef burger take you know produces twenty times the emissions uh, as a plant based burger and sure. so on. You know if people were more aware of this, that might kind of increase their motivation to you know to, to make a switch without kind of uh, eliminating the option of of having a sure. beef burger. Gentlemen, great to see you. I have to end it there. Thank you both for coming in. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Eric Ortz and uh, Brian Berkey for him here at the Wharton School. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.